Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Trevor Davis, the lead wealth coach up here at Total Wealth Academy. I want to start off the show with our usual quote by Albert Einstein, which is, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And I also want to start off by saying thank you to everybody that came out on Saturday for our Caribbean Fest, because not only was it an awesome time, but this was our biggest expo yet. We had, I want to say, just over 400 people come out, and might be a bit more than that, for our speakers, the Caribbean food, the dancers, the music, the vendors, the fun. That was our best expo so far. Each one has gotten bigger. This has been our fourth one, and we're going to be doing these twice a year. And some of y'all have already been out to all four, but in case you've only been out to this one or you went to the one um, in spring, our Greek expo, we are going to be having another one in spring and another one next fall, so twice a year, with different themes each time. But the concept is always going to be focused on real estate, building wealth with real estate, and helping you see at different scales of real estate exactly what is going on in real life. You get to actually meet people that are actually doing this instead of just watching videos on TV or on YouTube, um, getting suggestions about how it's done and hearing information left, right, front, back, up, down, and every which way that tells you that, yes, real estate is done, and everybody knows that it's done at this point. But look, you've got to figure out how you specifically need to do it yourself. And ultimately, it is pretty dang simple but everybody's got to get themselves prepared mentally to do something very, very different, like get into a business like real estate. That's one of the reasons why Einstein quote is so important, because what, what you're doing now is not necessarily the same thing that you can continue doing if you pursue a business like real estate, or if you want to open a business like a restaurant or a skincare line or making foods, deliver from home, whatever, you're going to have to make some significant changes because, as I always say, what you've got now is a collection of results from the actions that you've done so far. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect to get a different result. So the update that I have today is about the paycheck-to-paycheck life that most people are living in this country. And I really have a problem with that because the United States is supposed to be the most financially successful country in the world, which by virtually every metric it is, but Americans as a whole are not overwhelmingly financially savvy. Even in our country, Most people are living paycheck to paycheck. 
And I think that is egregious. I think that is incredibly ridiculous for us to live in the United States of America for everything that our country stands for and we should be standing for as Americans to be simply okay with this reality. And I've talked about the paycheck to paycheck before, but these are the most up-to-date numbers. And it's interesting because we have another data point for a particular income group. So this article was posted today on CNBC. And 60% of people as of this month well, reported from last month. So in the once all the data from September was compiled together, the most up-to-date information is that 60% of Americans earning less than $100,000 are paycheck to paycheck. 60% three out of five. But then the big interesting part here is that the people over $100,000 a year, you know, we kind of see that as the magic point where everything gets solved. And I've read some interesting stuff that indicates that for one individual in an average market with average expenses in an American metroplex, the average person to have the quote-unquote completely comfortable lifestyle needs to have right at 75000 So for two people, logically, that'd be right around one hundred and fifty. So then it kind of makes sense that when you see just $100,000 and people that the $100,000 plus or 45% of them are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, even at that point for a lot of people is still not enough with housing prices, with student loan debt, with child raising expenses, or just plain old irresponsible spending. And of course, I'm not one to discount the irresponsible spender because ultimately you have to be responsible for your spending. You have to account for the fact that if you're going on vacations multiple times a year or buying cars that are too expensive and that's causing you to not have savings to invest, you know, you're the irresponsible spender. You're the you're the meme online where you're the millennial that's drinking Starbucks every day and having avocado toast every day. That's an issue. But the reality of the situation is that this paycheck-to-paycheck situation has been getting worse and worse and worse. So is that to just say, offhand, dismiss the current generation or whichever generation you feel like particularly blaming because this process has been going around for a long time and transcends generations, that paycheck-to-paycheck life has been getting more and more common. So the really cool data point here is that on this article, which is linked to LendingReport.com, found that at $200,000 in household income plus, 28% of those people are living paycheck to paycheck. So that's over one out of four of the rich folks. And this is not quite the 1% richest in the U.S., but it's getting pretty dang close And you're looking at over one out of four of them living paycheck to paycheck. So that's kind of, that's very, very confounding because you would think that somebody who was making that money would be financially savvy enough to not live paycheck to paycheck. 
But when you look closely, this income is not coming from investments. These folks are the people that are living a lifestyle revolved around a single income from a job or two incomes if it's a couple, but both of them are working traditional jobs, which requires them to be there for 40, 50 hours a week. And when I talked about the lawyer couple in New York City that was making $500,000 a year and had only $7,000 left over, you know, they're they're working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week as lawyers. Something has got to give in this situation to where you are able to put this money somewhere where it actually makes a damn difference for your family. Once we get back, y'all, we're going to keep talking about how to not live paycheck to paycheck. This is a Total Wealth Academy radio show. Stay tuned. money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account, you can use it to invest passively in real estate without tax or penalty. Our average rate of return is three times that of the stock market and mutual funds with much less volatility. If you have over $70,000, you can start passive investing today. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Y'all, we were just going over some of the most up-to-date details about Americans living paycheck to paycheck. And to rehash this, we've got 60% of people less than 100,000 living paycheck to paycheck, 45% at $100,000 to $200,000, and then 28% of people $200,000 and up, whatever income that ultimately is, living paycheck to paycheck. And I hope, for goodness sake, that somebody making a million dollars and up is not living paycheck to paycheck, but apparently that's possible too. So it gets very, very interesting spending-wise when it really comes down to it. And my whole confounding issue here is that how in the world does somebody turn around from getting to that point and then throw it all down the drain. Well, it's just the way humans work sometimes. We see it happen with some pretty famous stories um, from celebrities and otherwise that talk about making millions of dollars and then throwing it all away. Um, And it gets pretty interesting too with lottery winners because apparently most lottery winners end up losing all of their money within the one year or two years after they win the lottery, regardless of the amount that they won. So some cases, it's pretty interesting to see how even with the money to solve all of the problems someone has identified, that's not really solving the fundamental issue, which is a lack of financial responsibility. And we're in a culture, whether you like it or not, even here in the United States of America, where we have not cultivated a widespread culture of financial responsibility. You don't go to school and learn how to become a business person. You go to school to get a very well-rounded artistic liberal arts education. 
and I'm sure there's a better term to use that that's a little less um, politically charged, but it's a well-rounded, universally oriented education that teaches science, math, economics, and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff that I think people have to learn when they're young so their brains can grow properly and they can develop in a way that allows them to learn whatever it is they really want to commit their brains to. If you don't train the brain, especially early on, then they're going to be at a serious disadvantage for the rest of their lives. So it should come then as no surprise that when the vast majority of Americans are not taught anything significant about managing wealth properly, that most Americans are not managing their wealth properly. You start out, most of us start out with messages that say you need to take the map that we always hark on, which has been the map that's been given to most Americans since the end of World War II, because that's when this started. After the end of World War II, we had extreme economic prosperity from being the most powerful country in the world on a complete other side of the planet where nothing basically happened to anybody except at Pearl Harbor and a couple of balloon bombs that the Japanese dropped in western Washington, Oregon, and California. That was it. Our country did not get bombed. It did not lose half of its population, like places in Eastern Europe, and our economic system was optimized for full production that allowed us to win the war in the first place. So all of a sudden, we have to turn all of this power inward and then outward through trade. And that's why the United States has been the cultural and military hegemon of the planet ever since the end of World War II. So it's been a long time, and we've been making sure that we're trying to get our kids in the best financial position through this prosperity. But you might have heard this statement before, but hard times create hard men, hard men create easy times, easy times create easy men, easy men create the hard times. Yeah, I understand that, but ultimately we are responsible for ourselves no matter what quote-unquote time we're going through, hard or easy time, we're responsible for our financial position. But it does become challenging when from the get-go we're given the wrong financial information. Whenever we're told to follow this map that, you know, worked pretty well for a while, worked super well in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and a bit into the 80s, and then all of a sudden having a college degree wasn't that worthwhile, especially if it wasn't for something explicitly in the math, sciences, or engineering or medical field, or the legal field. It's just not really something that's required as, as much as it used to be, like it or not. So we can't just offhand tell people to go to college and get a degree when we're seeing all of these people saddled with student debt for not just a couple of years, but for decades including that couple in New York that made 500000 a year. They were still paying off student debt for their law school. Law school is expensive. But I would at least account 
in the sense that if I'm going to get student debt, I would hope to be able to pay it off within, and let's say, five years, four or five years. That's how you should account for what degree you're getting into what field you're getting so that whatever student debt you have, you can reasonably pay off with all other expenses within that time. But that's not what's happening for most people. They're getting into tens of thousands of dollars of student debt, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt for degrees that don't pay off. That's financial irresponsibility. For sure. So as parents, as Americans, we need to be teaching our children not to just blindly follow the path that does not lead to financial wealth, financial stability. We have to teach our kids how to manage their finances and their educational path in a way that allows them to be in a better position and not a worse position. And certainly not to enter the adult working world with $100,000 in financial debt. That's nuts. I don't understand how this is something that's socially acceptable whatsoever. It doesn't make any sense for people to offhand tell kids to just go to college. There's a lot of suffering going on because of this distorted, twisted map that is vastly outdated, given, by, given out by people that it may have worked for them, but they don't understand the changes. Let's talk about Einstein's quote again. Measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Humans are smart when they change and adapt to the circumstances. You're not intelligent when you keep trying to do the same thing over and over, even when it's clear that a change is necessary. The world is constantly changing. And I understand that people are overwhelmingly similar throughout history. All you have to do is pick up a couple history books to see that things have been basically the same 2,000 years ago in ancient Rome, political maneuvering, backstabbing, War, murder, BS, day in and day out from bad behavior, bad education, bad parenting, bad planning, everything. But the world does change, and there are certain things that are better to do now than later. We have to make sure that we're educating our loved ones and kids with the financial strategies that actually lead to the financial stability and results. You have to listen to the people that have built up those portfolios of real estate and the people that are in financial positions that are better than you. I'm sure a lot of y'all have read the book, The Richest, excuse me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Now, I love this book because it teaches you perspective. It shows you one of the most important decisions that anybody could ever make for their child, which is to admit when you don't know squat about something. Robert Kiyosaki's dad was an employee for the government. He made a decent wage. It wasn't a whole lot. He was not a rich man but he was able to give them a good middle-class lifestyle in Hawaii. 
Robert's best friend was a kid named Mike. Mike's dad was a real estate investor, and he was buying land and property throughout the island of Oahu in Hawaii. And one day they were hanging out, and Robert noticed the wealth of Mike's dad, and he was curious about it. Something struck him to want to inquire. So that day, he asked his dad. He did not ask Mike's dad, but he asked his dad, Dad, how do I become rich? And Robert's dad did not take his ego out on his son. He told his son, I don't know. I don't know how to get rich. But Mike's dad does. Mike's dad is rich. So if you want to learn about how to be rich, I think you should ask him. So what does Robert do the very next day? He and Mike are hanging out. He asks him how to become rich. And Mike's dad does indeed teach him after he does a whole lot of work for him for free. It's a very, very funny way that he ends up working for him at the beginning, but he ends up teaching him everything he knows about building wealth. His dad did not let his ego blind him to helping his son. Once we get back, y'all, we'll keep expanding on Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and we will be back at the halfway point of the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Stay tuned, y'all. The stock market was never designed to build wealth. It was designed to keep up with inflation. The average rate of return over the last 75 years is about 7%. You'll get that even with the ups and downs. If you want a higher rate of return and less volatility, consider real estate. We make about three times as much as the stock market. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That is TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. This is Trevor Davis, your host for our Wednesday Hump Day presentation. We're just going over Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I think is such an important book, not just for that message that's just given to Robert, but to me, the number one thing that's most important is the fact that his dad took his ego away from the situation and advised his own son in something to go pursue wealth with somebody that was qualified. Even though he was Robert's father, loved him very much, he could have told him anything at that point, and his son would have believed it completely. But instead, he advised him to go down the street to Mike's dad's to learn how to build wealth is there maybe something that you need to detach your ego from when it comes to giving advice? There could be a lot of things out there, but my suggestion is you have to identify if it's something that you want your child to have result-wise that you have already, then advise away. But if honestly it's not, you're going to have to tell them to find out from somebody else. And you can certainly help them with that. I don't believe that it's going to be the best idea for you to just throw your hands up and say, 
well, you need to just go find it out completely on your own. I'm not going to help you for squat. You can still be involved in this process and maybe you'll learn a thing or two. What's the harm in, what would have been the harm in Robert's dad going over to Mike's and talking with Mike's dad and learning himself how to build wealth? That was an entire possibility too, but that's not how the story goes. That's not what happened. But that's how Robert Kiyosaki learned how to build wealth through real estate and all of the different types of real estate he's used. But I just think that's such an overlooked point. We have to be getting our information from qualified sources. We have to make sure that we're not letting our ego get attached to our information and exposure to the reality of the world around us. Because isn't that one of the most dangerous things that you could do is to just attach your ego to a perception of reality that's not true and you operate as if it is? Extreme example that I hope illustrates the point nonetheless. But if you attach your ego to crossing this particular street at exactly 12 o'clock noon during the lunch rush and not get hit by a car with because you have your eyes closed, is that going to end up working out super well for you and your ego? Probably not because you're going to get run over and killed by a freaking car. We have to identify the reality of the situation. You know, as ridiculous as it would be to attach your ego to walking across a street blind, are we not doing similar things when it comes to our financial position? We're looking at things blindly or we're getting so much information that it renders us effectively blind. Because we're trusting information from every single source, it's overwhelming and we don't know who to listen to. You know, I talked about that a while back, but there's all this information out there. There's tons of different real estate groups out there. We're one of them. There's tons of YouTube videos out there with real estate. We're one of them. You just have to start paying attention to what results are associated with those folks. What results you get when you start pursuing their recommendations. When you actually pursue the recommendations, not just look at it as theory, but take action on it. Now, let's get the stock market update because I'm doing this every week, but stocks are doing their thing. And I just want to make it clear, too, because I'm getting the impression that some people out there are attaching a very, very short-term bit of news with an all-encompassing assessment. Just because the stocks go up a little bit today does not negate the losses over the past months. So last week was the highest losses of the year so far. And they've gone up a wee bit from last week as we've seen throughout these months that I've been doing this. So the Dow Jones for the year to date, so as always from January 1st to now, is at negative 16.57%. That's a loss. You're not making money with the Dow Jones stocks. S&P 500, negative 19.5. 
Not making money with those stocks either. And NASDAQ still the biggest loser at a full negative 29.03% loss year to date. And with some stock specialists, and I've mentioned this before, you could be doing shorts. You could have seen that this whole thing was going to start falling and you took shorts out on all this stuff and then you did your short strategy and you made your money. But that's extremely risky because if it doesn't short and it goes up, your loss is not limited. It's a very risky endeavor. You know, it's already risky enough just putting the money in the stock market because you have no control and you don't know whether it's going to go up or down. And if you do, that's insider trading. You get the FDIC on your butt and then you get thrown in prison. So it's an extremely risky endeavor. That's just the way it is. I've not met somebody involved in stocks that was somebody I could consider stress-free, somebody that I could consider um, taking care of themselves, looking like they're in shape, not worried. There's just that impression I get because of the worrisome nature of stocks that it starts to bleed into other aspects of their life. I just see how stressed stock people are on those occasions that I get to meet them. So be very, very cautious with your stocks, but be aware that if you have stocks, especially if you have an IRA or 401k, there are ways to use them into something like real estate. And just to make it clear, if you want to use it for some other business, that's an option for you as well. But as we teach and as we emphasize, real estate is brutally effective at building wealth for a very, very strong collection of reasons. But be very cautious with the stock market alone approach. Now, speaking of confounding information and information going one direction or the other, but today... I encountered two bits of information regarding rent rates. And I think most of us know that in the areas that most of us are familiar with listening to this radio show, rents continue to go up. Rent is getting more expensive in a place like Houston, Texas because of extremely high demand. We have an extremely diverse, extremely specialized wide-ranged economic market for lots of different types of jobs. So if you get laid off in something like engineering, you know, it's very easy to get into something very, very quickly here. We're a large metroplex, tons of opportunities, but it's very, very much a complete package here in Houston. So we already know that, and I'm going to go into this article that I'm looking at now, But then I got another bit of information that talked about how rents are going down nationwide. And after reading the article, I saw that the crux of that title revolved around the fact that in on average across the entire United States over the past three months, Rents have dropped by a grand total of 0.4%. So we're looking at stocks that are, with all three major indices accounted for, 
losing 16%, 19%, 29% with no control whatsoever. Compared to a negative 0.4% rent reduction average across the U.S., this is a down market, folks. Stuff changes during a down market. There's ups and there are downs. It's always the same story throughout human civilized history. So when stock people are losing their minds, losing 20 and 30% or more, do you think we're as worried when we've got an apartment complex and our overall rental collections drop by 0.4%? Well, the answer is no. Because even though that is a loss, we're taking into account the fact that we could have lost a whole lot more if we'd been in something other than the rental real estate. But that's not really helpful for us in Houston because we're not looking at dropping rental rates like the overall average in the country. Because in that article, we saw a couple areas where they had some pretty significant drops. One that I saw was Orlando, Florida. And their rental rate drops were much more significant than 0.4%. Okay, of course, we've got to have some outliers there, but there were still markets that went up. If you're a real estate investor and you have the gumption and the ability to invest in different markets, are you probably going to make sure to invest in markets where rents are going up or down? Up, of course. Not that there aren't any benefits whatsoever to investing in markets that are kind of going down, but that's a whole nother discussion, I believe, outside of what we're discussing now. But Houston, Texas, and Texas in general is seeing very high rental increases almost across the board. Um, If there are any areas in Texas that are not hitting rental increases, I'd be very interested to hear about them. Because I've not met anybody or talked to anybody that's mentioned anything like that from any town, city in Texas. Once we get back, we're going to get to this article from the Houston Chronicle that talks about exactly what rent rates are doing in our city of Houston, Texas. Stay tuned for the final segment of today's show with the Total Wealth Academy radio show. joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And this is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that's going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars in the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. Welcome back to the final segment of Total Wealth Academy radio show. So let's talk about rents in the Houston area. The conversation has been since COVID response kind of went into its long-term response phase. By that, I mean after the insanity was over. You know, rents started going up. And we had this high market for COVID that still leaves me scratching my head. As to what activated 
in our collective brains to say, you know what's the best time for us to buy a house? COVID. I understand the work from home concept, but this high market for housing and the stocks has been absolutely unprecedented and unexpected. And not everybody is getting the benefits of this prosperity. That's for sure. So with rental increases, we've we were just talking about this actually during the break, but a lot of places are increasing rents and possibly you can negotiate them to not raise it if you say, look, I'm going to stay on for 12, 13 months or 15 months if you keep my rent the same. And this has become a common strategy in a rising rental market like Houston. So in this article of the Houston Chronicle, we have a young man, 24 years old, negotiated his rent increase down, is now paying $1,000. But many of his neighbors have not been able to get a similar deal, even with negotiating with those people the same way. And some people have seen rental increases of $50, $100, $200, and even $300 a month right off the – just out of the blue without even anything so much as a new paint job or a new appliance or any upgrade whatsoever to the apartment. Now, to give blame where blame is due, we know as real estate investors that we're looking for the best deals. And here's the quote here. During the pandemic, many of those older apartment complexes became targets for investors looking for safe places to park their cash away from the stock market or the uncertainty of office properties. Often new owners would raise rents after making cosmetic repairs or remodeling. Okay. This is really the only part of the article I take a little pause with myself. And, of course, that's to be expected as a real estate investor who talks about apartments and buying them. But, of course, they're going to raise rents after doing repairs and remodels because with the market forces at play, a beat-up, gross apartment is going to get a certain rent rate. You might think it's not going to rent. Well, folks, if it's an apartment, it's going to get rented. Here in Houston... It's going to get leased. It doesn't matter how ugly it is. It's going to get rented. So like any normal strategy with an apartment, when you go in there and you fix it up, make it beautiful, and make it look just as good as the apartment across the street that's already been remodeled, you know, let's say at first they were charging the 1000 bucks for a two-bedroom apartment. And the apartment across the street that's been fully remodeled, but it's the same age as charging 1400 you're going to raise your rents in that situation to the 1400 That's part of the business strategy. That's part of the market cycle, and that makes sense. What gets ridiculous is whenever you see these $300 a month increases for a one unit, and with whatever property taxes increases have been there, there's no possible way that you'd have to increase the rent by $300 for every single unit. That's That does not make sense. That's not really, that's not fair to people. That's not nice. That's not cool. That's being a scumbag slumlord. 
We don't, we don't teach that here. We don't encourage that here. So that stuff is junk. So we've seen some upgrades in costs with inflation, and this article calls it equal opportunity inflation. Well, no duh, because inflation is affecting everybody. And as I've said, and I'll say it again, inflation to a small degree is necessary because in the macroeconomic theory, if you have non-inflation or you have deflation, you effectively have no motivation for people to invest because their money is staying just as strong or getting stronger. With deflation, which is extremely bad, super no-no, that would literally mean you do absolutely nothing, make no investments, make no economic activity, your money just sits in a bank account, and it gets stronger. You get a rate of return based on the rate of the deflation. So that's not good. We want the inflation, and as the Fed will tell you, and I'm sure a professional economist would love to come on my show and explain exactly why we need a little wee bit of inflation to make sure the economy does its thing in our capitalistic society, but we have to have some. But when it gets out of control, stuff starts to get nasty. So property tax bills have jumped during the appraisals during the pandemic because as part of that collective psychosis or whatever happened to make everybody want to move all over the place and upgrade their house during a pandemic where people are dying, that's what we were doing. So the demand got extremely high. You know, we weren't necessarily gaining population. Just the demand got higher because more people wanted houses than they wanted to exchange more things even with a relatively fixed inventory. But that's not exactly the case either because inventory grows, especially in a place like Houston. So that's why it changes. That's why we have to make sure that we're not just looking at nationwide information because this is Texas. This is not Idaho. This is not Ohio. This is not Kentucky. This is not Maine. This is Texas. And things work a little bit differently here in the Lone Star State. And there's a lot of huge benefits that we have that a lot of other states don't. And huge big thing, number one thing, is the economic opportunity. Not just for our jobs, but also for our investments. So we've seen, though, in Texas, uniquely, that raising in rents, which has come with increases in costs. So there's a lot of stuff going on that's putting a lot of pressure onto people, not just the people that are at the bottom, but also the people that are at the top. But interestingly, we've been seeing the normal consistent rate, according to Morgan Group, each year over year, they expect to see a 10% rental rate. But we've been having to see these 15 to 30% rental rate increases after the pandemic. And we were just talking about this too, but some people argue that they're trying to recoup some of their losses from COVID, and that's somewhat understandable. But it's just to make 
the middle class and the lower class end up footing the bill. That's the way it always seems to work. The middle class and below has to foot the bill through taxes or expenses, and they're the ones that end up having the most significant negative impact from that because they have less money overall to work with. So every percentage increase in consumption of their income radically reduces their spending power, more so than somebody with millions of dollars. So right now, we have to make sure that we're providing housing for everybody that needs it. But the other punch here for the middle and lower is that the apartments that are being built across Houston are typically targeting the middle to upper section of the market. So not just right in the middle, but higher middle and then upper with the brand new spanking apartment complexes targeting those upper middle and upper renters, which is fine and all, but this is saying that the lower income renters are not going to be able to see an expansion of the availability apartments any time in the near future, and everything ends up running down and wearing down, but those opportunities right now for the people that need them the most are not coming through. And here's a case. Last year, Chris Obregon, a 27-year-old restaurant server, and his cousin searched across West Houston for a two-bedroom apartment under $1,400 monthly, but without success. They decided to try again this year, bumping their budget to about $1,200 by taking on another roommate. It did not work out for them. Let's put it that way. But for everybody listening, just keep in mind that the rents are going up. So if you're the landlord, that can be good for you, but the expenses go up too. So inflation is something that we all have to face. And beating inflation with real estate beats trying to beat inflation in the stock market. So make sure you're going out there and trying some real estate. This has been the Total Wealth Academy radio show, y'all. Got to cut it short here, but I hope to see y'all next Wednesday. Thank you very much. Be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.